Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Auzubillah minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah the gracious the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Today is Monday the 13th of March 2023, the time is 7.02 a.m. And you're listening to Daniel Zia, Imam Mubashar Zafri and Imam Usman Manan live from the breakfast studios of um, A Voice of Islam in South London. We um, shall be talking about two topics, as is the norm. And the first topic is about parenting. So how much restriction is too much restriction? That's the first discussion that we'll have starting 7.30 a.m. onwards. And from 8.15 a.m. onwards, we shall talk about the opening of the London's biggest mosque, actually Europe's biggest uh, mosque. And um, we will talk about the impact of religious monuments in society, in today's society. So those are the two topics um, for the day. Please do join us by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, gentlemen. Waalaikum assalam wabarakatuh. thank you for the introduction. Uh, so it's, How are you guys doing today? Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, so it's from last week, the weather has changed quite a fair amount. Yeah. I remember last time I was here, the weather was quite more pleasant than it is today. I mean, over the past couple of days, it's also snowed in the yeah. in the UK. For those listeners who have who are from abroad, uh, who are listening online, uh, it had snowed last week quite. Yeah, in the, the middle f- of March, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, so that was quite a surprise. Yeah, it snowed in London uh, last week, actually. Yeah, forget about the north. I mean, it was snowing here. In London, uh, so yeah, it was qu- and it was quite heavy as well. Mm. I remember the ro- roads were quite disturbed as well. There was a lot of turbulence yeah. there as well. And by the way, there's some forecast of uh, more snow here in London tomorrow, uh, oh, right. as well. Uh, again, so yeah, so do brace up uh, for that um, if you are traveling or going to be traveling tomorrow. Um, how has your week been, uh, Imam Anan? Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Uh, my week was uh, okay. It was good. Uh, weekend was also very good. And uh, I was uh, getting worried about the UK. Why? Why is it? Why is it following the normal weather timings? Like it, sh- it shouldn't be like that. In and then that snow surprised me. That yeah, it's like uh, a reminder that I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, this is the global again. Uh, you know, global weather patterns and um, the climate change and <coughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely something that uh, uh, we should all be worried about and. Um, um, and, uh, and and need to do think something about. Right, okay, so um, let's start uh, the program with the headlines appearing in uh, the newspapers this morning. So uh, Monday's papers uh, continue to focus on the impartiality row between the BBC and Gary Lineker following a disruptive weekend to TV football coverage at the bro- at the broadcaster. The I reports that Lineker is set to be reinstated as match of the day next week. 
and the BBC's Director General is set to announce a review of rules for presenters on the use of social media. The paper also reports on growing pressure on BBC Chairman Richard Sharp to resign. In its front page, the Metro says Gary Lineker insisted he cannot say anything amid the growing crisis at the BBC following his social media comments about the UK government's asylum policy. Talks between the BBC and Lineker are said to be moving in the right direction after a weekend of scheduling disruption to the broadcasters' sports coverage. The Daily Telegraph says Lineker is set to return as BBC bosses back down. In another report on its front page, the paper focuses on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's announcement of a £5 billion increase in military spending to strengthen UK's national defences and curb threat from Russia and China. The Daily Mail asks whether the BBC will strike a deal with Gary Lineker today to end its TV standoff. It goes on to say that the corporation's Director General Tim Davey returned back from the US for crisis talks in a bid to get £1.35 million star back on the screen by Saturday. Back off the net is the Daily Mirror's headline. It reports that a compromise deal between Lineker and the BBC is being thrashed out and the presenter could be back on Match of the Day as soon as next Saturday. Lineker back on the box is is the Sun's headline as the paper reports that BBC bosses are due to reveal a deal that will let um, the the star um, come back on Match of the Day. Echoing the other reports, the Times' lead story encompasses the latest developments in the row between Gary Lineker and the BBC, saying the corporation is seeking a truce. It also goes on to report on the Prime Minister's updated diplomatic and defence strategy, adding he has unveiled plans to deal with the epoch-defining challenges of China. The Guardian says executive at the BBC were scrambling to repair relations between the corporation and Lineker, the MOTD presenter was pictured walking his dog in London on Sunday. The paper goes on to report on the ongoing crisis surrounding the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank as the UK government tries to secure an emergency support package for the company's British arm. And finally, the Financial Times leads on the UK repercussions of Silicon Valley's uh, bank collapse. It reports that Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is rushing to provide a cash flow lifeline to some UK-based tech businesses which have been affected. The paper says Mr. Hunt has dismissed a bailout of the UK arm of SVB but will inst- instead focus on keeping cash flow going to the tech groups. So those were the headlines bearing in the newspapers this morning. We'll now take a quick break and when we'll come back we will continue discussions on what's Appearing in the headlines today and what are the leading stories carried by the newspapers this morning. Do stay tuned. I 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 13th of March 2023. The time is 7:10 a.m. and we're talking about the news headlines in the newspapers this morning. A reminder before we go back into that of the two topics that we shall be discussing today. So starting 7:30 a.m., we'll talk about uh, parenting and we'll talk about how much restriction is actually too much restriction. And then from 8.15 onwards, we'll talk about the opening of the Europe's biggest mosque and the impact of religious monuments in today's society. So please do join us in both these discussions by calling us at 020 You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Right, gentlemen, um, anything um, that caught your eye this morning? Yeah, there's a there's a headline on the Sky News website regarding the um, regarding an extra spend of five billion on the UK's military to basically counter the um, threats that are emerging from China and Russia. So apparently, this is going to be about two point five percent of the GDP that will be spent uh, towards uh, basically reinforcing. Uh, our, our, you know, uh, our army, our, our um, uh, defense against the threats, as I mentioned. So this is something that caught my eye. That you know, much more is being spent now towards um, defending the country from apparent threats. Uh, uh, isn't that interesting? Um, is, sorry, isn't that interesting that we talk about uh, these um, these threats or apparent threats? Um, has has China been hostile to us? I mean, yeah, Russia, I can understand, but what has China done? I mean, has they have they occupied any of the uh, British territories, or have they attacked us, our interests anywhere? How are they hostile to us? Well, not directly, but I think uh, in the current climate of the world, I think every country in its due right does have some thought of, uh, sort of, um, you know, implications that there could be some sort of nuclear deterrent that could cause you know mass destruction so i think with regards to that and a lot of countries now do hold possession to nuclear weapons uh, so i think because of that there's this hostility amongst world leaders uh, and therefore i think every country in its own way is reinforcing their defense but isn't system. this again you know a, a backward spiral yeah and, it is absolutely and, and an escalation you know you increase your spending then i will increase my spending yeah i mean then, just, we're just going back and forth back yeah. and forth and that hostility is growing ever so much uh and as you're right you know there comes a point when you know the water tips over mm. the you know over the edge and then you know all hell is loose then anyone can do anything they want and that's something that you know everyone is scared of and of course recently as well in his we'll be speaking about that in our second segment yeah but uh, again the head of the Muslim community has Mirza Masood Ahmed Khalif al-Masih the fifth caliph of the community he in his speech reinforced the fact that I have been saying this for many years hmm. that the 
that the situation in the world is declining, morality is declining, there's a lot of injustice. And with that, the threat of a global calamity mm. is, you know, it's knocking on our doors. And now it's even more prevalent and prominent. And the, you know, apparent causes that can lead to that are now even more, you know, visible. Mm. So I, he said that I've been saying it for many years that we need to come and sort this out and we need to uh, incorporate absolute justice within our systems uh, if we want to somewhat stay away from this calamity. Mm. But he said that, you know, now we see that, you know, due to the recent um, issues that there were between uh, Ukraine and Russia, yeah. things have escalated to a point where it's very difficult to turn back. Yeah. Uh, so he's been uh, stating that, and this is what's that's, this is what we're seeing in 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 the world. You know, people are th threatening others, whether it is by using uh, nuclear arms, whether it is, as you said, going back and forth with increasing our uh, you know uh, funds for defence. If you if you spend more, then we're going to spend more. If you do this, we're going to do that. There's a lot of counter. Uh, you know, um, attacks that are being made from each, you know, country or each nation. So that's something that, you know, we need to be very wary of and careful of. And of course, we need to continue praying for the betterment of the world. Because of course, uh, you know, one life lost is, is a huge, it's a huge thing. And the Quran states as well that, you know, if you kill one person, yeah. that's equivalent to and equates to killing the whole of humanity. Right. So again, if if unnecessary blood is spilt, that in itself is a huge and grave um, thing for the world. Hmm. And this is what we need to pray for: that we don't ever see such calamity. That would be, you know, disastrous, and there would be so much life that would be lost. Yeah. That's unimaginable. Unimaginable, absolutely. And even for future generations, absolutely. He also said uh, in his address, Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, the, the current um, head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, that uh, it's time for better sense to prevail. And uh, if, um, uh, because one act uh, of, a, of escalation will lead to further escalation. And uh, he specifically mentioned, um, you know, these, these peace proposals. Um, um from you know there was um, uh, china came up with uh, with peace proposals uh, a few weeks ago which were um, totally uh, debunked by the west so he specifically mentioned that you know this war could easily spread to to the east if uh, uh, this ukraine war which is which is a european war at the moment could e easily spread eastwards and um, has the potential of becoming turning into a global conflict unless better sense prevails and uh, and instead of you know thinking of um, instead of creating more enemies it is it is the time to sit down and create try and negotiate settlements and try and come to the negotiating table because war is never the solution and uh, and as we've we're saying you know one year on in Ukraine a solution is nowhere to be found um, and God knows how long this war is going to continue. And the more it continues, the more danger it poses 
of um, um, of of going um, of spreading across other countries as well. So it is indeed a very dangerous situation, and uh, and, and and unfortunately, yeah, uh, we, we're trying to make enemies out of uh, out of nowhere. I was reading this um, um, uh, this um, uh, this thesis that's written by a Harvard prof- a Harvard professor. And uh, he calls, he's come up with a term called Thucydides' trap. So Thucydides was a Greek philosopher, and he is um, uh, known to be the first official historian of the world. And uh, you know, his his theory uh, at that time was that um, uh, the war between um, uh, between Sparta and um, and and Greece at the time many centuries ago was because um one power was rising and the other power um uh, was was fading and that caused uh, a crisis between the two because there was a rising power and then you know there was a there was an established power uh, whose power was fading and then he said he so he's done research over the last few centuries and he said that there have been um i forget the exact number but um he said that there have been 17 or 20 such instances where there has been um, um, a similar scenario where one power is rising and the other power's um, influence is waning. And out of those 17 or 20 times, however uh, many times he mentioned, um, he mentioned those powers have actually gone to war nine times. So, um, and he said that this, uh, he also goes on to mention that this current crisis between China and the West needs to be looked at from that angle, from that perspective. It's all about geopolitics. It's all about economics. China is a rising power. America is um, is an established power. Um, but uh, with the rise of China, their you know their interest is thre- threatened, and they feel threatened, and that causes causes an issue between the two and. Um, so he said that you know there are two things that we need to see. Number one, look at everything. At that time, I remember when he came up with this uh, thesis, there was a lot of talk about this um, uh, this Huawei company, which was going to install five G five G systems in um, in the UK. So this is you know uh, going back three or four years now, and uh, and it was banned and uh, all of that, and you know a huge ruckus was uh, was created out of that in the West. Um, so he said that you know any anything any news you hear about China, just understand it from this perspective. That this is actually what's happening in the in the background, and today we see that you know one thing after the next, and uh, now we are actively calling China a hostile enemy. You look at today's paper, China and Russia have been bracketed together, and both yeah. have been nominated uh, by the press as hostile states. And I, you know, it just, it just, uh, I, I, I just find it unbelievable that how can you label China as hostile? What hostile act? What is the definition of hostile? Yeah. What hostile act have they committed? And and what favor are you doing to establishing global peace and 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 to to have some sense in international order and relations by making statements like that? And you know what the funny thing is, and the ironic thing is, whenever such things happen, it's not the leaders that suffer, it's the general public that suffers. I mean, from the direct and 
you know, direct consequence of the Ukrainian war, Ukrainian-Russian war. It's been the general public who have had no say in this war, have had no say in what other countries should do, have had no input uh, as to what the outcomes of the war will be. They are the ones who are suffering the most. I mean, the energy prices have, you know, gone over the roof. We spoke yeah. about this last time. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the cost of living has spiked so much that it has never been so high in the, in the past. I mean, a grocery uh, shopping is now somewhat 80 quid for a house of uh, five uh, for a week. Whereas, it, you know, a couple of years ago, that used to be 50 quid, hmm. you know, 45 pounds. But now all of that has changed. Uh, and, you know, speaking about China, the ironic thing is that a lot of things that we use, you know, on our day-to-day basis come from China. Yeah. You, you turn around your appliances... Yeah. And most of the time, it says made in China. Whether that's China clothes, is a factory of the world. Uh, of course, whether that's your clothes, whether that is your, you know, phones, whether that's your laptops, your iPads, your whatever you want to call it, you mm. turn it around, and most of the things are coming from China. Yeah. So now, putting it into perspective, let's say today China s- turns around and says that we're not going to supply anything to you guys because of the things that you're doing against us. Where will we be mm. if we now have to buy things from? outside of China, appliances outside of China, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be as cheap, first of all. The, you know, of course, the labor is much cheaper there. Secondly, no one's producing at such mass production as China is. Mm. So there's going to be a shortage of so many things. And it's not going to be the leaders who have, you know, thousands and millions of pounds in their pockets. It's going to be the general public who's going to suffer the most. Yeah. Who's gonna, who, who has absolute na- no say in the policies that are being made to counter, you know, these alleged attacks or the hmm. the alleged threats or supposed threats uh, that haven't come into being or are just uh, hypothetical. So that's a thing that, you know, the, the effects have and the, these effects are grave, you know, massive hmm. on the public. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and will have massive repercussions. Um, if this um, uh, if this attitude and behavior continues, uh, and this labeling of um, uh, of hostile and um, hostile states and um, an enemy, um, if, if this mentality um, continues, unfortunately, I mean, this is um, again, you know, going back to what His Holiness said, this is the time to sit down. This is the time to have. Um, um, uh, this is the time to resolve issues. Uh, because if they are not, uh, the world is fast heading towards an abyss. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So that was the um, uh, the uh, discussion around this uh, increase in uh, defence spending here in um, uh, in the UK. Anything else uh, from you, Imam Anan? Uh, no, not really. This is just a very, very heavy <laughs> discussion already. A very uh, important one. I think the biggest news today, the, the most important thing today, is this about this war going on, mm. uh, because technology has advanced so much. Even a, a war on a small scale can have so many casualties compared to previous world wars. Yeah. So if World War Three starts and it, it's going in that direction, then uh, mm. there, there might not be a world left out there for a war. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I don't know who said that. I I, I think it was um, 
Einstein or or, or somebody that uh, mm. somebody asked him about the Third World War. He said, "I don't know about the Third World War, but um, the Fourth World War will be fought with um, sticks and batons." So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, um, you know, it's uh, it, the circumstances at the moment or the situation is quite grave indeed. Right. With that, we will end this segment uh, on uh, news headlines and current affairs. We will go on a quick quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the first discussion, which is, which is about parenting. And we shall specifically talk about how much restriction is too much restriction. Please do stay tuned. Please do call in. Um, the number to call is 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah so for for me in 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 my life what i did was i said to um it came to a point in my life where i said I need spirituality. Right. I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. Sure. There must be more to life than drinking a latte yeah. and taking pleasure in a latte. Yeah. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was, I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian, I spoke to a Buddhist, I spoke to a Muslim, I spoke to a... Hindu. A Hindu, a little bit, yeah. and also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. Right. And they all gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah... We believe in God, we pray, and God answers prayers. Sure. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. Right. When I did that, then when I prayed, then Allah answered my prayers. Right. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. Yeah. And Allah... By the, grace of, by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers and I believed in him for the first time. 
And from there, I continued those conversations. And I said to the Christian, what do you believe? I said to the Muslim, what do you believe? And to the Hindu, the same. And to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam Ahmadiyyat means you believe in all of Jesus' teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran. Right. And then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in, in subservience to the Holy Prophet Sallallahu so to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah because you accept a prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows, or inshallah it shows to Allah, that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just joined us at Voice of Islam, we are currently in a live program of breakfast show. And today we have two segments that we're going to be speaking about. The first one being. Uh, the parenting tools that one should have in bringing up their children, uh, what is protective parent, parenting and how that has an effect on the children, and generally how much restriction is too much restriction when it comes to parenting. So this is something that we're going to speak about. And the background to that is that there was a story that was published with regards to restrictions on kids. And the gist of the story basically is that uh, there was a study uh, looking at the protective parents and if their parenting can cause children health issues uh, when they become adults. So this looked at uh, children who had been brought up in a particular way and what sort of outcomes it had. So the, uh, the research showed that uh, authoritarian parenting is, uh, is a very strict approach when it comes to parenting. And this usually uh, is due to nationality, uh, one's culture, uh, their ethical background, and is used basically to keep kids in line and under control. But uh, this style of parenting involves strict rules uh, that must be followed, and if they aren't followed, then there's punishments, uh, which usually are very punitive and harsh. Um, and those are usually without explanation. And there's such parents who are authoritarian parents. They believe that if their child is obedient to them, then that is a key to their love that they have for them. So this is some some of the things that authoritarian parents have, and this is what the uh, research showed. And this, of course, has negative impact uh, on the children, uh, usually such children they become aggressive uh, they are socially inept shy uh, unable to make decisions of their own uh, and you know have difficulty when they get older uh, on the other hand uh, they showed uh, you know that um, these parents 
uh, they, they they believe that their method is absolutely correct, uh, and mm. you know there's no other way around it. But of course, you know as we develop on with this discussion, we'll see that of course there are other ways and means of parenting, um, and what uh, what parenting style is the best. Mm. And then we'll be speaking about the Islamic perspective as well. Sure. Okay. Thank you very much for that intro. We spoke earlier with. Um, uh, Mrs. Shamila Zafar, uh, who ha- um, or Ms. Shamila Zafar, I should say, who ha- um, has uh, who's graduate um, in psychology from the University of Saskatchewan in Canada, and currently doing her master's in clinical psychology, and this is what she had to say about different parenting styles. We have with us Shamila Zafar, and she is. She has finished her undergraduate in psychology from University of Saskatchewan, Canada, and is currently doing master's in clinical psychology. A very warm welcome to you, Shumala, and thank you for joining us at the Voice of Islam radio station. Thank you for having me. So as the topic is restrictive parenting, could you please tell us a little bit about what is restrictive parenting and what are the goods and bads of it? So in psychology, restrictive parenting in extremely strict parenting style, it places high expectation on children with little responsiveness. Um, As a restrictive parent, you focus more on obedience, discipline, control, rather than nurturing your child. Uh, When thinking about pros and cons, um, pros would be boundaries and expectation are clearly conveyed to the child and it's easy to follow. There are um, there is many cons with restrictive parenting. Limited to no explanation is given for uh, the decision that children uh, that parent are making for children and it will uh, strain on ch- uh, parent and children relationship. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Um, uh- Please briefly explain to our listeners what are the different types of parenting styles that are commonly used today. So in psychology, there is four different parenting styles, authoritative, authoritarian, permissive, and uninvolved. Um, when talking about authoritative, it's more like less discussed. It's regarded as the best parenting style. Um, it it definitely has high expectation, but it's more flexible, responsive, and warm. Whereas authoritarian is more like, I said so, and it's considered as a negative parenting style. Um, it would be considered more as a restrictive parenting style, if we put in an easier word. So it has high expectation, forceful, rigid, and like there is punishment to follow the wrong decision. And then we have permissive, which is whatever you want kind of parenting style. So there is low expectation, few rules. Um, Children have chance to do whatever they want. And there is uninvolved. um, So no expectation, few rule, absent um, and uninterested. Interesting. Um, As you know, the mental health of children really shapes their future. What do you think, how does restrictive parenting impact mental health of a child? It, it definitely have a negative, um, it definitely have a negative impact as um, you can see because um, 
it restricts the children from following whatever they want to and it causes lots of behavioral problems such as low self-esteem self-control issues and even mental health problem many there are many studies where it's shown that people um who are raising their children through restrictive pain rating have depression so it's it's definitely not the preferable um parenting style yeah it's true um and lastly how can we better parent our children to help them grow and thrive in a society um i think there are multiple ways we can do that um first and foremost is model the behavior we want to see so if you want to see your child thrive you need to model the desired behavior another um thing we can do is open communication open communication is the key um to having a good relationship with children and foster good relationship teach your children to value and respect um family relationship and everything they do in their life Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Shamala, for joining us and sharing your insights with the listeners of Wise of Islam Radio Show. And have a great day. Jazakallah, you as well. Thank you. So that was uh, Ms. Shamala Zafar from uh, uh, from Canada uh, giving us um, uh, the the psych the psychological um, or the world um, the answers from the world of psychology, I should say. Um. this is uh, obviously um is something that uh, a, that would be interesting to most parents so let me go straight to our next guest uh, who is miss uh, sadaf tahir who is uh, the secretary of the department of training and education um for the ahmed muslim women's association here in the uk assalamu alaikum peace be with you a very warm welcome to the breakfast show Thank you very much for joining us. So, um, we're talking about um, uh, about the upbringing of children. We're talking about um, restrictions and how much, uh, how many restrictions are, uh, how much restriction is good restriction. In your opinion, how does one create that balance? Um, So while uh, I was just listening to your program um I really liked the word restrictive actually um mm. because I um I just thought of the word restrictive and uh, I know the there are four parenting styles like the authoritarian one the authoritative and permissive and the other one I forgot in the name but um so when the thing of the word restriction um it does fall under both the first of the styles which is the authoritarian and authoritative mm. but the balance is the most important thing so restriction means anything limiting you but um, limitations are there on the road when you're driving yeah and uh, the speed limitations yeah so they are not bad uh, they are for your good so we can uh, the balance between um um an excessive restriction and uh, the where the healthy boundary lies is that uh, you look at the needs of your child so every child is different and uh, there might be some rules that might apply with one child uh, while you want to educate them uh, try to um, try to make them into confident individuals when they grow up um, but then there are children who might need you more than that 
they might need less independence. They might need you more to be there for them at their back when they're doing something. So that's the job of a parent to decide which which needs what kind of approach from them. Then, um, with uh, I would say the balance comes with the authoritative parenting when you say that um, you set some limits for your child. Hmm. Then you have the, those rules. Every household has a has some rules that which they follow. But then you do bring your child's feelings into consideration as well. So there might be days when your child might be going through something at school or there might be some emotional days, something else going on in his or her life, uh, depending upon their age. So we need to bring that into consideration. So there's no hard and fast rule, um, like rule of book, which we have to follow. Um, I think as a parent, I've got two children and um, I do go through all these phases. Um, Then um, I think the balance comes, um, if we look at the, the beautiful teachings of Islam, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa alayhi wasallam, peace be upon him, um, once said that khairul umure asatuha, that moderation is the best in all matters. So, it's a um, it's a very beautiful hadith. Uh, it applies to each and every aspect of our life, even if it comes to parenting, even if it comes to eating, anything. So, if it comes to parenting, it it does uh, fall over there as well. So everything should be in moderation. Uh, too much strictness is also not right. Hmm. And too much independence, which is uh, free independence, let the child do whatever he wants to, is also not right. For some uh, example, there are restrictions in school as well. So our schools, especially in the West, are very, uh, they try to give the child a lot of independence. Yeah. They try to um, help them grow into strong and confident individuals. Uh, which is usually their approach. And uh, still there are restrictions at school. Uh, there are rules at school, which are good restrictions. And we can't say that, okay, we let our child to be independent here and try to push those boundaries which are there in school. So similarly at home as well, there are boundaries and they should be looked after. So the boundaries should be there, made uh, like parents make their boundaries. Okay, this is what we are going to do with their child or this is the child is supposed to do. And then we need to look into it that the child is following those rules and uh, we need to look at those boundaries with love. So we need to give them that trust that we trust them that they are going to follow this and mm. then leave that, like give them some space as well over there. Over there. Um, I also thought of um, something which uh, while you asked about the balance between yeah. excessive restriction. Um, I recall I was uh, recently um, reading something um, from the Promised Messiah Islam's uh, life uh, and his uh, treatment to children. And then I came across one of the things uh, which was very beautiful. And the Promised Messiah Islam uh, um, says over here that uh, what is his, what was his way of um, uh, the upbringing of children? And he said that I pray for my children and see to it that they follow broad principles advocate and teachings. That is all, nothing more. Then I place my entire trust in Allah the Exalted. The seeds of goodness that is present in each of them, according to their nature, will flourish when time comes. So this is very important that we uh, leave our trust in Allah and just uh, nurture them uh, with love and trust and then just pray for them. 
Thank you very much. Um, sometimes uh, your parents, are, um, your children ask you questions that uh, if you say something, you can't eat this, they say, why? Um, how would you respond to that? Like when, when a child is asking for an explanation, uh, many times you see parents there because they can't be asked to give a long explanation to a child. They sometimes say, just because I said so or because it's good for you. So how would you... Um, uh, like, how would you react to a child who's asking you for, for, for a why? Okay, so uh, this is also a very important question. It, I come across it every day with my children. So when um, the best way is, because children are very intelligent beings, so when we try to explain something and give a reason to them why this is that we don't want to, uh, them to have it right now, I think most of the times, they're very good at understanding you and they surprise you. At times, I think they won't. With my sons, I think, okay, we are having something now at home, like chocolate at night. And uh, mm-hmm. when you come down to the floor to their, have an eye contact with them, talk to them the way they understand, right? and I, I'm, I don't want you to have a chocolate right now. Not that way. Rather mm-hmm. explain them why don't you want them to have a chocolate at the, like just before bed. Um, and they are too good at understanding and they always they are always there to say yes they're always there to receive that thing which you are giving them and always um, give an alternative option as well for instance if you think that this is not working your way you can uh, we can distract them like uh, you can't have a chocolate uh, right now because it's bedtime maybe we'll have it tomorrow after breakfast or maybe after lunch or with lunch so they're always happy to and they're always receiving those things um, I don't think there should be a um, uh, problem over here. At least I don't find uh, with my children over there. Right. Um, th- thank you for, for, for that uh, insight to, you know, giving a response to children who ask for explanations. Uh, but, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the most important things uh, whilst parenting is how to basically react and show response to your kids when they do something blatantly in, uh, incorrect or inappropriate. So uh, from, from that perspective, how should then one parent or those parents who will be, you know, going through that, how should they, uh, you know, react as parents when they see their children do inappropriate things? And how should they then, you know, uh, talk them uh, into how, you know, what was wrong and how they can then better themselves? Um, so this is, a, uh, it happens every every other day that you're, you're surprised with the, some behavior or something uh, you don't want mm-hmm. to happen at a certain point. Uh, but the best thing is, instead of just reacting at the same moment when that thing happens, uh, you just take a, like a few seconds. Right. Um, and just uh, step back from the situation and think what has happened. It has just happened in front because we are adults, we are grown up. We can we can comprehend the situation better than the children. Right. So just have a uh, have a have a minute of calm and think how can you do with it better rather than just reacting to it maybe in a harsh way, maybe scolding your child. So instead of going that way, um, think for some time and then address it calmly and politely because that's very important. That's the uh, that's the life lesson because then when they'll grow up, they'll have situations similar to them at work, at school, everywhere, where uh, they they might be involuntarily triggered by 
their, uh, their reactionary senses to just uh, respond. And then they'll have your example, like our example, not to react in that way, rather to react positively. And uh, when something happens, always try to ask calmly why this has happened. And uh, then let your child realize, because things do happen the way they shouldn't have happened. They can be wrong. Maybe your child um, has hit the other sibling or something like that. Um, just I can th- think of this example right now on the top of my head. Right. Uh, take them away from that situation. Maybe if the situation is too much heated, take them out of that room. Try to address them calmly. First calm them down and then ask what has triggered everything. And then talk through their, uh, through everything that this shouldn't have happened. And if we, if they could have dealt this like this, uh, like you can ex- give example, instead of saying this, instead of doing this or giving this reaction, you could have dealt it this way. The situation have, wouldn't have come to this end. And uh, the child does understand. And then um, I think that's the better way uh, instead of uh, an instant like instant response of strictness. Absolutely. Zagla, Mr. Daftahir, for your insight uh, uh, to how, you know, parenting is, um, you know, how vast it is and what sort of challenges uh, parents do face and how to overcome those challenges. It was it was a very insightful talk. Uh, and thank you once again. Uh, we wish you a, a absolutely happy day. Uh, and with that, uh, we take leave. So thank you to Ms. Sadaf Tahir who explained uh, what are the differences when it comes to parenting and what's the uh, what's the correct way uh, you know that can work when bringing up children. Um, and as mentioned one of the things that really struck out to me during uh, during the talk with Ms. Sadaf Tahir was balancing you know the things. There's no you know those four different ways that were mentioned uh, by Shumala Zafar's uh, Miss Shumala Zafar, that there's four stars of parenting. Yeah. There's the you know the authoritarian, the authoritative. Uh, then the you know restrictive, and then the unbothered, unasked parenting style. And Miss um, Miss Sadaf she mentioned in the beginning that it's important that you basically strike a balance. You know, you of course you have to. Uh, there comes a point where you have to, you know talk to the children you have to basically uh you have to look at it from their perspective as of well. course they but ask you also, a question why did that question come to his mind of course but also you you're gonna you're gonna you have to parent them right you can't yeah. just let them do whatever they want you have to have some uh you know way to control their behavior to to yeah. develop that behavior how do you then uh what's your conduct hmm. and balancing was you know having a balance and striking a balance is such an important factor when it comes to parenting, uh, you know, uh, and that's something that um, is important. Again, you know, when we look at the world, there's different scenarios. If you're overprotective, hmm. the, the 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 outcome can can be completely different to if you you know you let your child come out of that you know uh, thing. For example, if a child falls over. And you become over empathetic, uh, you know, over empathetic towards yeah. the child. If you show much too much, if you show too much empathy towards a child, the child is going to think that you know, whenever there's a failure in life, that's the response that I should be receiving. Hmm. That yeah, I, true, I, true. I get empathy from others. But if you let that child, you know, deal with that, hmm. 
you you're teaching the child to face basically face you know other hardships that life throws so it's striking that balance and that doesn't mean that you know every time the child falls over you just you know turn a blind eye yeah you know you sometimes you do sometimes you let them grow you can get injured or hurt and that's the point but let them get up let them get up themselves absolutely so that they learn but Mm. as I said it doesn't mean that you know you just turn a blind eye every time sometimes you can tell them you know it's okay it's fine you just give them a a pat on their back and let them grow and you know again it's 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 about what your conduct is and, and how you look at it, um, and that you know that's the thing that if 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 you neglect those children, you will, you know, have some, not some rather a big impact to the future to the future generations, uh, uh, and that's mm. the thing. And you know we were speaking about restrictive parenting, uh, and we mentioned that you know culture. Your background has a big impact on ha- what sort of parent you are, mm-hmm. and that restrictive parenting does root, you know, in a lot of cultures, um, and that's the thing. You know, Islamic teachings are completely different. It, it stays. It says, you know, Hazrat Ali, the fourth caliph of uh, Islam, the fourth successor of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He used to say that La Rabbu awladakum kama rabbakum abakum. That do not bring up your children. In the same manner as your parents brought you up, for innohum zamanikum that they have been brought up, they have been created in an era which is completely different to yours. So mm-hmm. circumstances are completely different for every generation, That's and not all the generations point. can be brought up in yeah. the same way. I mean, the difficulties that our parents faced when bringing us up are completely different to the difficulties we might be facing bringing our children up. For example, you know, the biggest example I can give, I can think of on top of the head, uh, is that when we were children, there were no distractions such as, you know, the mobile phone. There's no distraction distraction of uh, iPads, uh, you know. Mm. I remember our computers weren't like the ones that we have today. Yeah. You know, those were the f- big, big monitors uh, that you used to have <laughs> that weighed more than, you know, uh, the kid itself, the kid itself, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, you know, it was just um, you know, those things weren't there. And uh, you yeah, know, so many times I've heard like my dad say when I used to go to school and I used to walk like ten kilometers every day. <laughs> I, mean, I think a lot of us hear that from our parents. Uh, you know, the parents always have to have an upper hand. Mm. You know, this, this is funny. You know, when you do something, oh, I did this better in that way. You know, there's always that yeah. little thing, and I think that's also healthy. It, it gives that motivation to the children to do that. Mm-hmm. But coming back to you know the difficulties uh, and what has Ali said that you know you can't raise your children in the same way your parents raised you. Because of course they have been brought up for a different uh, environment. They've been brought up in a different environment to yours, uh, in a completely different surrounding to yours. So that's the thing, you know. So going back twenty five years, when we were kids, twenty years, even twenty years, when we were kids, mm. our kids didn't have the luxury. I mean, I would say the distraction of just, you know, if the child is crying, just give giving them an iPad or you know putting on Netflix and you know putting yeah. shows on YouTube. You know, we didn't have those. Uh, accessories at that time but now lo and behold everyone's got a phone in their hands everyone's got you know some sort of entertainment at their disposal and as soon as uh, a child starts crying you know you just pop on something on the youtube and whack it on yeah. and give it to the child and this picture there's a, there's a mother like 20 years ago she's dragging 
her child by the ear, come home now, it's time to go home. Yeah. And the same mother after 20 years, she's dragging her child out, like, leave the house, get off your computer, do yeah. something outside, find some friends and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing. So every every generation has its own pros and cons, its own difficulties, its own advantages. And based on that, you have to, you know, climatize yourself. Definitely. And Adapting to the, to the new generation. I think that this is why you... Sometimes a lot of people they, they want to be young parents. They they don't want to be parents in like a very old age because you need to build a friendship with your with your child. And if you're like too old and you don't understand the advancements of of your time, then it becomes difficult to understand your child. There's many like older parents who have a big age bigger age gap between the children who still who are still advanced who are still you know following uh going along with the with the um, technologies and the advancements, and they t- seem to be closer to their children because they understand that if a child wants to go on his phone, is it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be watching something, uh, some cartoons. It could be that he's studying on his phone. It could be that he's uh, doing something important on his phone because maybe a bit earlier, phones were related to more like uh, just for calling, just for texting. But yeah. now phones are everything. They, their knowledge, their distraction, they're good, they're bad. Yeah. So uh, it's it's important to monitor what your child is doing on your, on their mobile phones, yeah. but not always get them off it. If you're doing, doing something good, then you can support him, but make him understand that, you know, maybe an hour or two of hours course. a day on the phone, is that, that's course. enough. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, 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 it's actually, you know, mind-boggling how things change. You know, as I was mentioning, just the comparison between the two different, you know, timings of our childhood and the childhood that our children are going to have, there's such a big difference. And it's, as you said, it's about adapting and learning new skills and how to parent. And the thing is, uh, it's 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 the thing is that um, that yeah. the, let's continue uh, this after the um, news. We'll listen absolutely. to the news and then come back. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum, My peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, thirteenth of March. The time is eight o three a.m. and we are talking about restrictions uh, on protective parenting, or how much restriction is too much restriction. What sort of parenting style do you have? Please do call us in by um, calling at zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Imam Mubashir Zafri, um, before we went into the break, we spoke to a couple of guests um, 
and um, they explained to us, you know, various parenting styles. We've explored a little bit of uh, of uh, Islamic angle as well. But yeah, what what is the um, uh, what is the Islamic um, teaching around uh, around parenting? Uh, the the three important styles of parenting that, or three different styles of parenting that we've talked about, is authoritarian, authoritative, and and permissive. Uh, what does Islam say? Does Islam talk about a balance between all three, or uh, does it tilt toward uh, one or the other? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, absolutely, uh, you know, you're you're right that you know Islam also inculcates how one should prepare for the future generations, how to basically involve yourselves in the lives of your children and looking at the four different uh, aspects of training or four different styles of parenting uh, I was saying that uh, you know before going on to the news break that striking the balance is the most important thing Islam always speaks about the middle way yeah. uh, and as uh, Ms. Sadaf Tahir mentioned that uh, that the best of uh, you know matters are the ones that have been made through the middle path or have gone through the middle path so the middle way the middle path is always the best way because it involves every aspect in its most moderate you know position hmm. and that's where you know you 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 thrive and you 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 get better and you move on because you you involving every aspect uh, or at every angle and that's why even in parenting as I mentioned that uh, earlier, that we can't stick to one particular, you know, style of parenting, mm. because one thing from us one style might work, but the other might not. Right. And in the yeah. same case, one thing might work from another style, mm. but might not work in that particular style. Sure. So Islam, you know, being a religion, having that thing, having that relationship with God Almighty, having that certainty and belief that God Almighty is there, who is the in the greatest plan of all mm. it's 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 always inculcated uh, amongst us that prayer is the most important thing before anything prayer is the thing that you should focus on so islam mm. even you know parenting where does so when we speak about parenting mm. we're actually speaking about parenting even before the kids come into our lives mm. parenting starts there in islam sure right in fact it starts even before you get married Right, that, that's what Islam teaches. Mm. Islam teaches that parenting even begins even before you get married, mm. because it teaches us to pray. To pray, yeah, right, absolutely. And mm. the first, you know, first pedal stone of parenting is prayer, mm. Mm. right? And that's done even before you're married. And Islam promotes that you pray for, you know, for a pious and righteous spouse, and then a righteous and pious offspring. Right, it, you know, it reminds me of the prayer that we um, we pray all our lives, actually. Um, you know, right from the time that uh, one learns prayer as a as as a young person, yeah. Um, and and then you know throughout your life, which is Rabbi Jalli Mukim Salat Minzuriyati. Absolutely. Which means that oh my God, um, um, guide me to the right path and and uh, grant me righteous uh, children. Uh, of course, and as I mentioned that, you know, that thing that, you know, the parenting, that mentality begins even before getting married. So people have, you know, they pray um, fervently for a righteous wife, for a righteous offspring. Yeah. And that's the belief that Muslims have, that everything uh, comes from God Almighty. You know, when you ask from him, he grants you. 
And in that way, when it comes to parenting as well, it's necessary that you pray to Allah Almighty to guide you, to help you, to assist you. Because of course, parenting, you know, it's not a it's not a stroll through the park. It's not easy. It's it is it yes, does get yeah. difficult. There's so many things that you have to keep in mind. And there's different stages to parenting. Yeah, you know, you don't have the same way of parenting throughout the child's life. You know, of course, the way you, you are... You have to grow with the kids. Of course. Mm. You and have to continuously adapt to to their age. Of course. And and that's what, you know, parenting is. Mm. And it's it's our firm belief, or it's a firm belief in Islam that Allah the Almighty, of course, He's the greatest helper. And without His help, nothing can be done. So the first thing and the first rule of parenting is to turn towards Allah the Almighty and seek help from Him. And the second thing is to learn from the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, because Allah the Almighty in the Holy Quran states that that for you there is a, a, you know the best example in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So take heed from that. So as Muslims, we look at how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was with his children, but how he demonstrated love towards his children, how he brought them up, how he parent, you know, how he parented them, how did he, you know, uh, control on his own uh, emotions when it came to dealing with his children. Yeah. How did he balance both love and uh, at the same time, you know. Uh, bringing up his kids you know whether it was admonishing them whether it was telling them what's telling them right from wrong Mm -hmm. how he done all of that and you know we see in the example of the holy prophet peace be upon him how he done that you know there's so many uh, beautiful examples for example once the holy prophet he was praying and he was in his sajda he's prostrating on the on the floor um and and praying and one of his grandchildren um actually i think both of them they came running, you know, because they loved him so much, and they mm. climbed on his back mm. while he was bowing down. Mm. And they climbed, and they're playing around. And it has been a long time; it's been many, many minutes. Or uh, it mentioned that it's been a long time, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he's still in that position. He doesn't, mm. you know, take them off. He doesn't uh, push yeah. them away. That he needs to pray. Yeah. And he's just uh, there, waiting Stays patiently, there. and giving that respect mm. to the children that uh, you you are something you're mm. worth something so mm. you, you want to have fun okay I respect that and then uh, when they, once they were tired of playing and they go off then he um, raised himself again mm. and on the other hand that was the example of love and patience on the other hand we see an example where where the authority comes in where the mm. strictness and rules comes in mm. one of his uh, grandchildren they took a date uh, which was meant to be for, uh, which was a charity. Yeah. It was given in charity. It was a yeah. sadqa, yeah. and uh, for Muslims, um, it is not appropriate to take something from charity unless you are in need. Mm. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he saw his grandson, mm. a very small child, taking that day and putting it in his mouth. Mm. He went to him. He took that date out of his mouth mm. uh, by force, mm. and he explained to him that this date is for charity. Yeah. You are not. You don't need charity. Yeah. You are you are not um, entitled to it. Entitled to the charity. Yeah. So teaching him that that was very important rule, mm. because what if he did? If the Holy Prophet did, didn't stop him there, yeah. he would have done it once again. Yeah. And you know, if parents turn a blind eye once sure. or twice, and then it becomes a habit, he thinks sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not. Mm. But Absolutely. this act is not appropriate. So there's again this beautiful balance yeah. between the love and patience towards his children and grandchildren. But at the same time, if there are important rules. Yeah. 
you have to stop them yeah. even if yeah. it it might sound harsh but for the future it will be very beneficial absolutely, absolutely. and you know, there's another example of, i mean this was with his ch- grandchildren of course mm-hmm. we see that you know grandparents often have this um, tendency that they show f- far more love to their grandchildren than they have to their children they do indeed but i mean that's not the case with the hope of peace upon him you know when he ha- you know he there's there's narrations of the hope of peace upon him that he would you know whenever he would meet his daughters because uh, mm. you know uh, he had four sons and according to some uh, narrations he had three sons they all passed away at a young age yeah uh, all his daughters uh, they grew up uh, you know and they, they they had seen him in the time when he had you know claimed to be the prophet and they had seen a long era especially uh, hazrat fatima radhiyallahu anha yeah. she had seen you know the hope of it sallallahu uh, for a long time and she also uh, lived on as well yeah. after the Holy Prophet peace be upon him so she with regards to her it's narrated that the Holy Prophet would you know when he would come home and see her he would you know give her a kiss on her forehead uh, would kiss her hands would show a lot of love to her mm. and but then when there were things that had to be explained he would be very you know he would be very straightforward would be very stern and not st- I wouldn't say stunned, but he was very, uh, you know, to the point. To the point. Mm. He d- he didn't he didn't shy away from things. Mm. There was once uh, an incident where, uh, you know, someone raised not an allegation, but uh, there's discussion regarding theft and mm. what the punishment was. Mm. And the Prophet sallam stated that if Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet, mm. even if she commits the act mm. of cutting her hands. Mm. She, uh, sorry, she commits the act of theft, then she will get the same, get punishment, the same punishment as as anybody else. Yes, and absolutely. He made it yeah. very, he made it very clear to his daughter. So, you know, and the, and the, and then the daughters respected that, yeah. and we see that you know that love wasn't one sided wasn't blind. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, 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 the, the, the love that the Holy Prophet showed to his children, the children showed you know same sort of respect and love to. You know, their their father, and then you know, as the Ahmadi Muslim community, we also believe in the second coming of the Prophet Messiah, yeah. and we believe Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Afghadian, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Afghadian, to be that Messiah, and we see that he also followed the example of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Mm. He showed a lot of love uh, to mm. his children. There's a narration of. Um, uh, Hazrat Muslim the second caliph Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad may Allah be pleased with him he narrates that once when I was young and uh, I didn't have uh, much um, understanding of the world mm. I used to you know as a kid you have different you know your imagination is very broad yeah. so once he states that once the promise of Messiah was holding me in his arms and I was slightly ill so he took me out of the house because I was crying a bit and uh, you know he took me out on a stroll and uh, he took me out and I started seeing stars hmm. so when I started seeing the stars I said to him that I want to go to the stars <laughs> so he would just play with me he wouldn't say much you know he would just laugh hmm. and he says that I didn't say this once hmm. I said this multiple times right. And sometimes, you know, such things get a nuisance. You know, sometimes mm. a parent can get, 
you know, a bit annoyed that, you know, you're saying this thing, you're saying this over and over again. I've told you once that, mm. no, we're not going to the stars, mm. or we're not doing this. But the Muslim, or the Bashir bin Mahmud who states that the Prophet all that time listened to me quietly, smiled every time, and didn't say a thing to me. And then there's another narration of another of his children that uh, the Promised Messiah Islam, was very, when it came to, you know, um, showing, you know, dissatisfaction, he would do it. He wouldn't shy away from that. Mm. When when he saw that the children uh, were doing something which he wasn't pleased of, he would make sure that the children understood that uh, they uh, that the Promised Messiah is not pleased with them. Right. But again, the uh, the overall you know showing mercy being merciful that encompassed his way of parenting absolutely and that worked best uh, absolutely cannot agree more um uh, imam usman are there any uh, narrations from uh, from the life of uh, promised messiah um that talk about the um the raising of children and that talk about give us um uh, really um uh, the way uh, of uh, the best way of dealing with children and raising children. Yes, definitely. As uh, uh, Imam Zafri mentioned, there's uh, many examples. Uh, just one small example, um, which has a, a, a beautiful lecture, a beautiful lesson in it as well. Uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he he came into the the eating area and he saw his two of his children are debating. Um, the one uh, ch- one child was saying that knowledge is better and the other child was saying no uh, money and wealth is better hmm. so they were having a debate and it got heated the promised messiah came in and he he told them both to be quiet he said neither knowledge on its own is good hmm. nor wealth on its own is good hmm. what's good is the grace of god hmm. and you might have knowledge but you don't you are poor and you might have be wealthy and uh, you don't have much knowledge hmm. but either of these things or even them those both things together they are of no use if you don't have the grace of god if you if you have knowledge and you're wealthy but you can't do good with it mm. then that knowledge and that wealth is being wasted right so he taught them an important lesson that debating about these things is not important what's important what you do with those things right. is how you treat others with with these things you have Sure. So he told them that the grace of God is the most important thing. Right. So stop debating about these little things. Mm. Uh, both are very uh, useful and be- beneficial things and both can harm. So focus on the bigger picture. What, what are you going to do with these things? Right. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, with these um, words, let us close this first segment that was about parenting and um uh, different styles of parenting, as well as what um, uh, what does Islam prescribe around parenting. Um, quickly moving on to the second segment of today. Um, so that's about the opening of the biggest mosque in Europe and the impact of religious monuments in um, in society. Uh, Imam Usman, um, what um, would you like us to uh, would you like to introduce this topic uh, to our listeners? Uh, yes, sure. So the biggest mosque in London, which was uh, um, partially destroyed in a fire in 2015, is finally reopening. Reopening. Uh, actually, it has already reopened. Um, the Betul Futu Mosque, the House of Victories, um, <clears throat> um, is celebrating 
has celebrated the rebuilding of its building, uh, which was destroyed about um, eight years ago. Um, the fire at the centre in Morden, South London, happened while management were preparing for a wedding set to take place that day. It happened just one day after 13,000 worshippers had packed it uh, into it for the Eid celebrations, the annual um, Muslim holiday. So the mosque built by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community all over the world continue to stand as as an abode of peace and tranquility. Its domes and minarets not only represent a magnificent history of Islam, but act as beacons from which the message of love, respect and harmony echoes forth to the hearts of many. So th we're going to talk about this uh, building, this huge building, uh, as mentioned by the, um, the, the MP who said I came out the chief station and I saw this beautiful huge building in, fr in front of me from so far away. What an amazing sight from there, especially in the, in the dark, dark sky. So we'll talk about how these religious buildings, they might look beautiful from outside, but what's inside? What's the purpose of these buildings? And we'll be talking to some guests as well. So that's our sec second segment. Excellent. Uh, and with that, uh, let's go straight to our first guest, which is Councillor Leroy Scott, um, who is the town mayor um, and uh, uh, belongs to the Whitehall and Borden uh, Communist, uh, Community Party, I should say, I beg your pardon. Um, Aslam alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, for joining us. Uh, if I can start by asking you, you're, um, uh, you attended the opening of the mosque uh, as well as the peace symposium yes. that was held um, in uh, in the vicinity of the mosque. Yes. Uh, your thoughts um, uh, and and, um, uh, and your um, sort of sentiments after having attended the event? Well, it was an eye-opener, you know, because uh, our previous beliefs that, you know, in the Muslim, but after meeting um, the Ahmadiyya's uh, Muslim community, I, I, my faith in, in human being has been restored, per se, you know. Right. Um, anything that, um, that really stood out uh, from the address of His Holiness? Um, well, uh, part of it that stood out is the, is the part where um, he's always advocating for peace. Right, you know, and uh, he's he's one of them, uh, those persons who are very, uh, how should I say, very sentimental in his um, beliefs, you know. So yeah, right. And uh, do you would you agree with the uh, with the sentiments expressed there that that we you know the the world is fast becoming a dangerous place? Yes, it is. How would you say that? Because um, uh, I'm I'm a Christian myself. I'm a Seventh Day Adventist, and we believe in the you know in the um, second coming of Christ, and it's mm. the end of time. Mm. You know, and that is why I think that this this um, whole scenario of the world becoming more very very much more dangerous than it ever was before. You know, uh, absolutely, and I completely agree with you. Uh, but Mr. Mayor, also, I mean, coming to coming to the peace symposium, uh, I'm pretty sure you must have seen 
the new building. Uh, what was your, I mean, intake? Where, you know, seeing the new building, the redevelopment, and I'm pretty sure you know you must have been taken around for the tour of the mosque. So, what were your thoughts uh, in terms of the new building? Uh, uh, and uh, you know, seeing it for the first time, uh, what crossed your mind? Well, I was blown away by the 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 the, the, the size of it, and uh, it's just wonderful to see that you know uh, a place like that exists in the heart of of London per se. You know, because I mean, <laughs> it's it's one of a showpiece, put it that way. Right, and I'm pretty sure you enjoyed the meal at the end of the day as well. <laughs> I did, I did, <laughs> I did. I always enjoy the the, um, the meals. Oh, absolutely! You know. Th- th- thank you, Mr. Mayor, for joining us today this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, uh, and we hope to see more of you soon in thank future you. years. Yes, you will. Uh, thank you very much. Have a blessed Bless. day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Yeah, that was um, uh, Councillor Leroy Scott, who is the uh, uh, town mayor, and uh, he belongs to the Whitehall and Borden Community Party, uh, sharing us uh, his thoughts, uh, sharing with us his thoughts um, on the auspicious evening when the uh, Beit al um larger complex was inaugurated, which is the largest uh, mosque in Western Europe. As well as the peace uh, peace uh, conference that was held on um, uh, on the same day as well, right? I believe we have um, the um, the next guest on on the line as well, and the next guest is Councillor Andy Tree, who is um, um, also uh, part of the Whitehill and Borden Community Party political group. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A warm welcome to the breakfast show. Hello, good morning to you. Good morning, Councillor. So, um, uh, your thoughts, Councillor, on um, uh, on the evening that you attended, on the event itself and on the address of His Holiness? Okay, so first of all, I thoroughly enjoyed the evening. Uh, it was very eye-opening. It's very eye-opening to learn more about um, the beliefs you stand for uh, and uh, and what you do and how you strive to, to make the world a better place to live in. I think it was very inspiring. Um, in terms of the uh, address from His Holiness, I, I felt that that was very, uh, very thought-provoking. Um, it clearly, is, uh, is is well thought out. Um, links very much back to to your beliefs and uh, and and the, the uh, and, and where you actually uh, come from in that respect, and uh, and how you want to implement those beliefs um, to, to better uh, better people around you. And, and I think what's striking is that a diverse group that you actually had in that room um, as guests especially on the front table. Um, you had people from all different kinds of backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different political backgrounds, who were all there to support your, your message. And I think that's, that's very strong. And I think that that is testament to, to, to how, how people uh, consider His Holiness and how people consider your community. Would you agree that the world is becoming a more dangerous place? I think the world, sadly, has always been a dangerous place. Um, I, th- and I, think, I think that is the sad reality, isn't it? I think that, uh, that if people could agree to disagree, um, and which is why you know, it's such a, a, a positive move that you reach out to different faith groups, to different communities, that you show tolerance. You know, yeah, if people could be more tolerant of others and just agree to disagree. Um, you know, I know people from very different faith backgrounds 
Um, and as far as I'm concerned, if uh, you know, I respect their right to believe in what they want to believe and to live their life um, uh, in that way. And if more people could just agree to disagree, the world would be a, a better place. Um, it's not just religion, of course. There's other, other issues, uh, like, for example, Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Um, but, but, uh, but, yeah, I, mean, I think since the Second World War ended... There, is, there has never been a day of complete 100% peace on earth, I believe, is the statistic. And I think that's very sad. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I mean, putting that aside, how important do you think it is in, in light of such things to have, uh, uh, you know, uh, an organisation or a community holding, uh, you know, an event that brings in uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds, all walks of life uh, and you know, unifies them under one umbrella of peace. How important do you think is and how, you know, how, what kind of impact does that have on the rest of the world? I think it's vital, uh, not important. I think that uh, the, ser- the service that your community offered was extremely important to, to actually host, host that, that the peace symposium, to actually have people in the room, people from different backgrounds, uh, from uh, politicians listening to the message, food for thought, um, because the other the other issue that we do have is it's not that people are necessarily always bad it's sometimes ignorance and sometimes it's ignorance through lack of understanding and the more the interaction there can be the more hosting of events such as uh, the peace symposium the other week the, the more that we can do to educate people the less chance there is of conflict because people then are no longer ignorant and ignorance does sometimes breed fear and it's, that fear that then, and it's that fear that then causes causes the issue and i myself knew nothing about, uh, I'll be honest, nothing about your community um, until I encountered you, till I made friends, till I then learned a bit more about it. And now I can, can, be, can, can be a communicator in terms of, uh, you know, helping uh, discuss with other people and actually ensure that they're not ignorant. So I definitely think, going back to your original question, yes, the, having the Peace Symposium, big, bold effort to, to actually um, interact with lots of different people and, and spread a positive message. Your thoughts on the um, on the building itself, on the new um, uh, administrative complex, and the architecture of that complex? Fantastic building! <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. But just as you approach it from the outside, um, you know, looking up, it's it's fabulous, and, and obviously on the inside, um, you know, very, very proud to have that building in our capital and ultimately in our, in our country. Very proud. Uh, thank you, Mr. Tree. We're talking about how these <clears throat> these beautiful buildings can uh, be of use uh, to you know the public as well. So, in your opinion, what what are some of the some of the things or events the, these buildings can offer, and what do you think? How can you utilize these buildings to benefit the public and uh, to spread the message of peace and other things? How would uh, any suggestions you have? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I guess that having the Peace Symposium, which, uh, which uh, stretched way beyond sim- just your community, although you were hosting it, um, I guess other events, high profile, to, uh, anything that boosts the profile um, of your community, what you do, what you stand for, and what you're trying to achieve, um, I think is a good thing. Uh, and, and I think that, that that's just the starting point. And I think the message will, will, will become stronger and clearer as time goes on as well. Right. Thank you very much, uh, Councillor, for joining us uh, really early in the morning. Um, have a great day and the rest of the week. And thank you once again for joining us on The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was um, Councillor Andy Tree uh, sharing with us um, his thoughts on uh, the um, 
uh, the opening of uh, the the mosque as well as the peace symposium that he attended here at uh, the Battle Fatu Mosque or the House of Victory Mosque. Right. So um, it's always nice to have uh, these positive comments, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's reinforcing. I mean, it's uh, it's you know, it, it just. Um, uh, it just shows you that you know the the efforts are well received. Uh, our community, we, we do make the effort. His Holiness obviously has been making these efforts for decades now, and uh, it's really it's really nice to hear that uh, you know they're they're well received and there are people out there who who respect this. Um, in terms of uh, the mosque itself, you know if if you can talk about what why is the mosque important. What is the importance of uh, the mosque um, as the um, the center of activity within um, within a Muslim community as well as the community in general? Um, Imam um, Imam Zafri, if I can come to you. Absolutely. I mean, so when we look at it from uh, from a theological perspective, we see that uh, one of the reasons why God Almighty has created mankind. Uh, as he explains in the Holy Quran, that we have not created the jinn and the mankind except for the purpose of worship. So worship is a very important factor of uh, of religion, of our religion, of Islam. Huh. Uh, the second thing that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, explained that Allah Almighty has sent me uh, with two things one is to establish the bond between man and his creator mm. and second is to establish a f- a b- and to forge uh, a relationship of brotherhood between mankind and this is the same message that the promise of messiah also came with to establish relationship between man and god and to better the relationship of mankind with one another so of course both of these um both of these uh, aspects are catered for when it comes to the place of worship, i.e. the mosque. So when we look at it from the perspective of worshipping God Almighty, the sole purpose, well not the sole purpose, but the, one of the most important and primary purposes of uh, a mosque is a place where people can come together to worship their creator, their Lord, Allah, yeah. Almighty God. Now, the second thing is that we have been promoted to pray together. Yeah. And we can get into the, uh, you know, uh, the effects that it has when we pray together. Mm. But when we look at it from a pers- uh, from a theological perspective, then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that uh, a prayer that is, you know, a congregational prayer is twenty-seven times better than a prayer which is offered individually. So the sense of coming together and praying to Allah the Almighty not only fulfills the um, the purpose of worshipping Allah Almighty, but then we see the effects that it has with the community. The the, the second aspect of the coming of the hope of peace upon him, which was to fund uh, or to 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 forge a uh, you know a relationship between uh, mankind of love, of brotherhood, of unity, and that is fulfilled with that congregational prayer in the mosque. People come together of different backgrounds, uh, all being equal in the sight of God, standing together, rubbing shoulders with one another, asking one another. And then this is one aspect that uh, the mosque fulfills. Hmm. 
And from there, then other things start growing. Hazrat Muslim was the one who the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, in his commentary, in his exegesis of the Holy Quran, has explained the purpose of a mosque, and he has given more than ten uh, purposes of the mosque right. that this mosque serves. Now, for example, he speaks about the, the worship aspect. You know mm. that you know that you come together and you pray. Then one of the things is that that is a place where people come together and talk about the affairs of the community how to you know planning for the future hmm. holding meetings regarding that yep. then at that time in the time of the Holy prophet peace be upon him that the mosque was also a you know uh, was a court if there was an issue between two people they would come to the mosque hmm. and then for settlement uh, yeah. for settlement yeah. and then you know the verdict was given either in favor or against uh, as a particular individual then not only that it's, uh, you know the 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 the, the mosque is a safe haven, and this is something that we portray even to this day and age. Uh, you know, uh, the mosque is a place for travellers to come and, you know, take rest at night. Mm. You know, if someone's travelling through, let's say, uh, through London, mm. and he, you know, reaches London at a time where, you know, he has to, you know, rest, oh, the mosques are open because that's also one of the purposes of the mosque is to give comfort to the wider community. Right. So, and even in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and after, if you were traveling and you stumbled over a mosque, uh, you were more than welcome to stay there, take rest, mm. and, you know, even sleep overnight. So that's another aspect, another uh, another thing that uh, the mosques offer to the wider community. And then it's a place for people to come together with their kids mm. to ensure that... I mean, it's it's like I want to say I wouldn't call it a school, but the word that uh, the Muslim who has used is madrasa. Right. It's like a teaching place. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a classroom, yeah. you know, where teaching is done. Where, you know, whether it's the the prophet yeah. teaching his companions about faith, yeah. or whether it is the imam of the mosque yeah. teaching the children yeah. about faith, about Islam, yeah. what the practices are. So, yeah. this now and the mosque, yeah. a place of worship, hasn't just become. A place where people just pray but mm. it's now become so many things it's become a safe haven it's become a classroom it's become a you know a place where uh, affairs are settled it's a place where people come together and plan for the future and we see this within our community when we look at the mosque you know Beth of Mosque, the house of victories isn't just you know people you see people come here and pray mm. Mm. you know if you come at any time of the day you see different things happening yeah. we are in the vicinity of the mosque yeah. you know and here we are you know, our voice being reached to millions of people through mm. the source of uh, radio, right? Absolutely. I was, uh, and I wanted to add that. Absolutely. I think that that's an excellent point. You know, within this uh, Baitul Fatu mosque complex, we have a radio station. Yeah. We have a TV station. Yeah. We have a multipurpose hall, which is used for, for weddings, for uh, the local area, uh, for schools uh, to have exams. Yeah. We have, um, and that hall is also used for various sports activities um, as well. We have badminton courts, we have basketball courts there. Uh, we also have a gym uh, within the vicinity of the mosque. And um, and then obviously we have the, the mosque itself. So within this this complex, we and, and, a, and an excellent dining hall, by the way, which uh, I think must be mentioned because of the excellent food that is, that is served here uh, at all times. So uh, it's, uh, it's a great place, but... But also, I, you know, I want to uh, dwell on one very important point, which is that the most, the biggest issue in society at the moment is loneliness. Yeah. 
And what you mentioned about congregational prayers, you know, you're, you're asked, you're, uh, you are encouraged, you're required um, to come to the mosque to attend daily prayers. And that is in itself is such a good antidote, such a good remedy for loneliness that, you know, you, you come here, you meet your friends, you meet people five times a day and um, not once a week. And 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 you know you can talk about anything that you want to talk about. It it just lifts your mood, if nothing else. So, you know the the mosque is uh, is such an important part of um, uh, of the local um, local community, um, it, and and definitely the Islamic community, uh, but but also the wider Muslim, uh, the wider community that the mosque is situated in. Because absolutely anyone's welcome to come to the mosque. Yeah. And that's the thing, it offers so much. There's so many things going on. You know, the the, the ladies, they're being catered for. They have their own events. They can come. There's mm. a specific place for them to worship. Then the kids, the, there's things that, you know, keep them involved. They have, you know, as you mentioned, the sports hall. Anyone can come to the sports hall and play. So they play badminton, table tennis, basketball, volleyball. Recently, there was an event held by the ladies, an international event, where teams from across the world, Canada, America, Australia, um, France, you know, from Europe, people, you know, the teams came and they had an event. Canada so, won, I believe. I, I believe so, yes, yeah. Canada won. So that's the thing, the community isn't just involved, for, you know, revolved around the community within Britain. Yeah. Rather, it's a hub, uh, you know, for communities beyond our shores yeah. uh, who come here and then, you know, they take, you know, they make most out of it. And especially when we hold our annual convention, the Jalsa Salana, yeah. we see that, you know, this complex is used to cater for the guests that come from around the world. Yeah. There is bedding set up for, for the guests. Yeah. There's a 24-hour services uh, for transport for the uh, guests. You know, the, it completely transforms into this little village you know, yes. I would say, you know, there's food being served 24-7, there's mm. tea, there's washing services. You know, you see that mm. that community come together. Yeah. Well, it is the right word, absolutely. Yeah, That's what it is. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, on, on that topic, actually, uh, so within this new complex, two floors have actually been dedicated to accommodation. So absolutely. they will be, you know, they, they, they will be used just for accommodation at all times, um, and that's for the guests. And that's for the guests that exactly. will be coming to yeah. to the mosque. Not for not for us, you know, who who are in the yeah. mosque, but it's for the guests that come to you know to see this place or come here mm. to stay. You have no, you know, relatives uh, in this vicinity. Uh, it's for them. It's for their comfort. And so, you know, where you know when we speak about mosque and that general perspective of a mosque being a place of worship, we've now broadened the term of the mosque. And now we've made it into something that not only serves the purpose of worshiping Allah, but it also serves the purpose of, you know, fulfilling the rights to your fellow humans. Absolutely. And it, it's uh, it's such a peaceful place when you come to the mosque. And uh, anybody and everybody that I have brought to the mosque uh, or who has come to the mosque and I've spoken to always uh, it goes back with, uh, with at least these remarks that, you know, that they have felt peaceful. And... Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it it just um, uh, the the verse of the Holy Quran that's written inside the mosque, Allah basically that man which means that it is in the remembrance of Allah that uh, hearts find peace. You just find that 
that peaceful ambiance, um, you're at peace when you're inside the mosque. Of course. And, this, and, and, and visitors feel that. Of course. And this, this, of course, I mean, this is very specific to the Muslims generally. But, you know, the the fact that we have a mosque or even other places of worship, you know, it's 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 incumbent that these places are out there because those, you know, places of worship, they are the, you know, they, they are the binding factor of bringing people together of different walks of life, different backgrounds, different religions. And those are the things that build bridges. Now, I mean, the Peace Symposium was a prime example of how different communities, different religions come together. And, you know, churches offer the same sort of, uh, you know, bridge as well. They, they, you know, people from different walks of life, they are more than welcome to attend and go see a church. And, you know, that then leads to fruitful discussion. You learn about different religions. You Building learn bridges. About, of course. And then, you know, same with the synagogues. I mean, whilst being in Jamia in our you know, our Institute of Institute Theology, of, theology of, uh, you know, Theology and Modern Languages, where we started for seven years, when we were studying about Judaism, we had the opportunity to go visit a synagogue. Mm. And they were very friendly, open, they even gave us snacks, you know, they were so friendly. And we learned so much about Judaism, just with that short trip. Then even Buddhist temples, the Hindu temples, Sikh temples, these places of worship, when they're out there and they're visible, people sometimes out of curiosity it develops curiosity. they, they yes. go in and they yeah. learn something really new yeah. and that can also be a means of you know as one of our uh, uh, guests mentioned that ignorance is sometimes plays is a catalyst mm. for creating fear of mm. a particular religion or a particular sect or a particular group sure. so if that curiosity you know, encourages you to go learn something new, yeah. learn something that you didn't know about them, mm. then that's a good thing. And have thing. a dialogue. Of course. And have a positive dialogue that has mm. a good outcome. So it's imperative that you have such places out there in, in, in people's, uh, you know, vision so that they can come and speak. And, you know, as I said, that the Peace Symposium was a prime example of that. And our guests mentioned that as well, that, you know, this was such a phenomenal event where people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all religions came together and they held a common understanding and a common viewpoint regarding the peace of the world. Absolutely. And um, uh, this was mentioned uh, repeatedly by um, by the caliphs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the uh, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bulaam Ahmad, the, the promised Messiah, said that um, indeed mosques become the beacons of projecting peace and harmony and eliminating their surroundings with their spiritual light. Um, and from the early history of Islam, we learn that mosques not only function as buildings for the worship and remembrance of God, but they have served a number of functions for the general welfare of mankind. As we were talking about earlier, you know, meeting places, social gatherings, centers of learning uh, for um, uh, for even essential supplies, such as, you know, uh, supplying water and, um, and food. Uh, and it is also a symbol, of course, uh, to express the unity of God and... Um, uh, it is. Um, it projects uh, unity. Uh, it pr projects peace and harmony. Um, so, uh, 
I would strongly encourage anybody listening to this um, uh, to this show today and who hasn't been to a mosque, uh, especially this mosque, uh, the Bayt al-Fatou Mosque, which is the last, largest in Western Europe, please do take some time to visit. The, the mosque is located in South London in Morden. And if you haven't, haven't had a chance to visit this before, please, it is a landmark and it's something that uh, uh, should be included in your... Uh, in your uh, plan for uh, the next um, places to visit in the next 12 months. <laughs> right. With that, uh, we come to the end uh, of the show today. I must thank our my co-presenters, first of all. My co-presenters are Imam uh, Mubashir Zafri, Imam Usman Manan, um, my producer, Farva Mubashir, our researcher, Saira, Shanze, Vijaya, and Roxana. Excellent support from uh, Mr. Thayer from the Tech Room. We shall be back with another live show um, next Monday and there will be another live show tomorrow. So please do uh, join us for um, for that. Until then, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. to the Voice of Islam Radio. Azrat Mirza Majroor Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India, he claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, continues the work of the holy founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind, the movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your interpretation of jihad has always been in stark contrast to the extremist Imams that we all deplore. We especially applaud His Holiness for denouncing those who pervert faith by claiming it as a justification for violence. However we define God, it is wrong to kill in His name. 
I have enormous admiration and respect for the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are doing throughout the world to promote peace and understanding, not just by words, but by an example of a way of life, an example of impeccable conduct, and an example of undeniable faith in God Almighty, and an example of peace and tolerance. I only wish that more people could be here today to see this face of Islam, to understand this community's expression of that great religion, and I hope that for the future you will be recognised as the face of Islam, of love, of tolerance, of brotherhood and friendship. The work that you do in the community contributes every day towards that. Let us hope that everyone else's eyes are opened to the truth, to the justice and to the compassion that you bring to our society. His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. It is a pleasure to be associated with an organization, with a religion that says love for all, hate for none. And I think if we reflect on that, really that is what we all ought to be doing in the world today. The Ahmadiyya movement in Islam has been a leader in promoting peace and partnership between communities. Established in 190 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continues to preach a message of peace and tolerance even in parts of the world that persecute them for their beliefs. But this should, ladies and gentlemen, come as a surprise to no one, to anyone who knows this community. Ahmadis are renowned throughout the world for their devotion to peace, universal brotherhood, and the will of God, the core principles of true Islam. Uh, all of us, whatever our political persuasions, hugely admire the work of the Ahmadiyya community here in the United Kingdom as we do across the world. Today, 
ਕਿ ਇਹ ਤੁਹਾਡੇ ਵਰਗੇ ਲੋਕ ਅੱਗੇ ਆ ਕੇ ਇਹ ਜਿਹੜੀਆਂ ਦਿਲਾਂ ਦੀ ਦੂਰੀ ਹੋ ਗਈ ਹੈ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਘਟਾ ਸਕਦੇ ਐਂਡ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਆਲਸੋ ਅ ਬੀਕਨ ਬਿਕਾਜ਼ ਯੂ ਟੀਚ ਆਲ ਆਫ ਅਸ ਥੈਟ ਵੀ ਵਿਲ ਫਾਈਂਡ ਦ ਸੋਲੂਸ਼ਨਸ ਟੂ ਦ ਪ੍ਰੋਬਲਮਸ ਆਫ ਟੁਡੇ ਥਰੂ ਅ ਰੀਡਿਸਕਵਰੀ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਪਿਰਚੁਅਲ ਸਾਈਡ ਆਫ ਆਰ ਲਾਈਵਸ ਐਸ ਵੈਲ ਐਸ ਦ ਮਟੀਰੀਅਲ ਸਾਈਡ ਲੈਟ ਅਸ ਮੇਕ ਅ ਰੈਜ਼ੋਲੂਸ਼ਨ ਲੈਟ ਅਸ ਮੇਕ ਥਿਸ ਰੈਜ਼ੋਲੂਸ਼ਨ ਟੂ ਪ੍ਰੋਮੋਟ ਦ ਮੈਸੇਜ ਆਫ ਪੀਸ ਐਂਡ ਬ੍ਰਦਰਹੂਡ ਵਿਚ ਇਸ your message to mankind that people of different religions should not quarrel and fight with each other but should accept and tolerate and live together in that spirit of brotherhood and peace which is the essence of your religion Yusuf on whom be peace mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of al-latif the benignant by recalling how God was his friend while his brothers conspired against him according to the lexicon latif is a kind of gracious being one who is benevolent to his creation as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters al-latif is one who illuminates hearts who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation the promised messiah on whom be peace said that sight intellect and consciousness cannot reach god it is impossible to try and see him he is al-latif he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of god god is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware he's of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him His light is manifested through his prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him disseminated this light the most. For it was he who had the most perfect perception of God 
and it was he who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound.